0: Um, thank you to everybody who's uh, shared already this morning. Um, it's been really good to hear the, the reality in the things people have been sharing. Um, let's, let's take a moment, we're going to read um, in a second from God's word, uh, but let's just gather our hearts and ask for God's help uh, as we come to read his word this morning. So let, let's pray. Father, thank you that we can sing those words together and mean them and say that you are altogether good. Thank you that even when our faith is wobbly and weak, um, you are completely trustworthy and we can lean the weight of our lives um, entirely on you. And Father, as as we open up your word this morning, we want to come and ask for your help and your wisdom. Um, And Father, maybe especially on this uh, Pentecost Sunday as Christians around the world um, are giving thanks for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Um, We want to thank you that the same Holy Spirit who inspired these words to be written down is also here with us now. And so we want to ask, Holy Spirit, would you come... And lead us into all truth. Would you come and give us enlightenment and wisdom uh, from yourself? Um, Father, we confess it's only your Holy Spirit who can really change our hearts and change our lives. And so our prayer this morning is that you would strengthen us with power by your Spirit in our inner being. So that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. And so we want to pray again this morning, come Holy Spirit, and change our hearts and change our lives. And we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. Um, for, for those who um, haven't been here over the last few weeks, we are about four weeks into uh, a series exploring the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a strange book and a puzzling book and a fascinating book. Um, and I'm not going to recap everything that we, we've talked about, that we may uh, mention a few things as we go. Um, but maybe I'll, I'll jump right in uh, with this so that I, I read recently um, somewhere that in, in one of the African languages, I don't know which, which of the African languages, uh, the noun that is used for a, a non-African white person from, uh, from our part of the world, uh, from the, the, the wealthy West, um, the, the noun that they use literally translated means person who endlessly rushes around to no apparent purpose, <laughs> um, which uh, you, can, you can take a moment to kind of take that in. Um, or another way to say that might be a person who chases after the wind. And so there's something about the book of Ecclesiastes that I think especially for our wealthy, western, so, so-called advanced civilized part of the world that we really need to hear that maybe we, above, above all others, tend to endlessly rush around to no apparent purpose. We tend to chase the wind. Um, I, I should say, from this point on, we've, we've been going relatively slowly through Ecclesiastes. From this point on, we're going to go a little bit faster or we'll never get to the end. Uh, so we're not going to read everything or cover everything Um, And I do really want to encourage you in your own time to read the bits that we don't cover on a Sunday morning. So I'm going to skip over most of Chapter 4, but I want to just summarise a couple of things that are in Chapter 4. Chapter 4 returns to this theme of chasing after the wind. And again, provides us with a picture of people kind of running after wealth and pleasure and success and all the things that we rush around in pursuit of. Um, With the same conclusion that we've heard before, that all of this is hevel, all of this is vapor or breath, a chasing after the wind. Uh, But perhaps in chapter four, the picture gets even a little bit darker. Because now it's not just saying that people pursue all these things of wealth and pleasure and success and come up empty handed, grasping at vapor. But actually, as you read chapter four, the picture Uh, is this, that as we pursue these things, we actually open the door to all kinds of ugly things and we cause damage to our lives and the lives of those around us. So it's not just that we come up empty-handed, but actually we cause harm and we cause damage. And as you go through chapter 4, it talks about uh, these things. It talks about oppression, where the rich oppress the poor and the powerful oppress the weak. And actually, all of us are capable of participating in that oppression because in trying to get ahead and trying to get more, we can trample on those below us. And so in chasing after these things, we cause harm through oppression. And then there's also this ugly thing of envy uh, as the dark driving force for a lot of our activity as we rush around. we constantly compare ourselves to other people who have more um, and it robs us of all joy because comparison constantly robs us of joy. And so we're driven by envy. And then there's also loneliness. That as we scramble, the scramble for more success and more wealth and more of everything um, changes the way that we view other people so that we don't see them as our neighbour or our brother, but instead as a rival as, or as somebody we can use to get ahead. And so we can end up, uh, potentially, we can end up rich and successful and getting all the things we were pursuing, but profoundly lonely. Um, and that's where you read, actually, those verses that, um, that Leslie read to us about how two are better than one, about companionship and about togetherness. Um, and so as we chase after the wind, all these ugly things are stirred up of oppression and envy and loneliness. And in all of this, um, chapter four tells us there is no comfort, and there is no contentment, and there is no companionship or community. And yes, I did just give you three letters or three words, all beginning with the same letter. So I feel like a real preacher now. Um, there is no comfort, there is no contentment, and there is no companionship or community um, in all of our chasing after these things. Um, so take some time with chapter four yourself this week and uh, listen to the the wisdom of what it's saying. Um, But I want to come after that picture of all that restless running around after nothing in particular and coming up empty handed. um, We come in the book of Ecclesiastes to, I think, a really quiet moment of invitation. The the rushing around stops for a moment and we hear uh, a word of quiet wisdom. Uh, So let's read together Ecclesiastes chapter 5, reading from verse 1, says this. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart. utter anything before god god is in heaven and you're on earth so let your words be few a dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool when you make a vow to god do not delay to fulfill it he has no pleasure in fools fulfill your vow It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. Do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless or havel. Therefore, fear God. Let me zoom in uh, right away on these words at the very heart of uh, what we just read. God is in heaven and you are on earth. I wonder how those words kind of strike you or land with you this morning. I wonder what those words mean. God is in heaven and you are on on earth. Maybe um, initially what we may think when we hear those words is it, it kind of implies God is far, far away, somewhere out there, somewhere up there, and we are down here. It's kind of speaking of distance. Um, Actually, I don't think uh, that's what these words mean. In the Hebrew mind, in the Jewish mind, heaven is that other world, that other realm of existence, that other dimension, if you like, um, which we can't sense with our physical senses, with our eyes, with our ears, with our noses. which is the home of God and the angelic hosts, but which actually is not far from each one of us. It, it is a world and a realm that intersects with our world, even though it's hidden from our sight. Um, it's not far, far away. When we speak of God being in heaven, it's not saying he's a long way away. It's saying he lives in that other dimension. Andrew Peterson, the wonderful songwriter, has a song where he sings, just behind a veil of wind a million angels waiting in the wings i think that's the idea when we speak of the heavenly realm Um, it's just behind a veil of wind it's just hidden from our sight Um, god is not very far from each one of us and so to, to say that god is in heaven and you're on earth is not to emphasize that he's far away but i think it is to say this that god is holy Um, The word's not here in the passage, but I think that's what's conveyed, that God is holy. And the word holy at its most basic simply means that God is other, right? That he is other, that he is not like us. Uh, Maybe immediately you're thinking, um, of course, there are certain ways in which God is like us because we are made in God's image. Um, And so there are certain ways in which God... Uh, is is similar to us, but there are also many, many, many other ways in which he is not like us or like anything else in all creation, anything else under the sun to use the language of Ecclesiastes. Um, God is not really like anything we can really imagine, whatever we think God is like, He is more. <laughs> Whatever we think God is like, he is greater, he is higher, he is better, he is brighter. Um, Isaiah says he is high and lifted up. You can hear Isaiah trying to find the words to describe what God is like. He, other places in the Bible it says he is exalted, he is awesome, he is majestic, he is glorious. These are all ways of trying to find language for what can't really be expressed. Um, the Bible gives us language to think and talk about God, but always with the awareness that the language in the end is inadequate to the reality. All words fall far short of the reality. God is in heaven. God is holy. God is other. Um, I guess I was thinking about this and I was thinking, you know, we have this hope as Christians that one day we will meet God face to face. Right? That's the, the language that is used. We will see him then as he is, and not through a glass darkly. We'll see God as he is. Um, but I guess what I was thinking about was, on that day when we see God face to face, none of us is going to say, ah, yes, he's exactly as I imagined. Right? None of us is going to have that reaction. We're going to realize that many of our thoughts and ideas and imaginings about God were wildly wrong that's going to be pretty humbling (laughs) Um, and also that those that were right were wildly inadequate right that's what we're going to realize in that moment Um, annie dillard um, in a very memorable passage a christian writer says if we had any idea what we meant when we say the word god (laughs) we would give out crash helmets to everybody coming to church um, instead of ladies' hats. Um, and the ushers would give out life vests and signal flares and lash us to our pews. If we'd any idea what we meant when we say the word God, we've no idea, she says, what power we so casually invoke. We chatter about God casually. But we've no idea what kind of power we're invoking. She says we're like children playing with chemistry sets and mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. We have no idea um, what we mean. Um, we can't imagine um, what's involved. Maybe I want to suggest every now and then in our lives, um, and you can, you can um, sort of reflect on whether this is true for you, um, every now and then in our lives, we get a little glimpse of the reality of who God is, in His Holiness, in His majesty, in His glory, in his high and lifted up upness. Um, and it can happen sometimes in a worship service in church, or it can happen when you're at the top of a mountain or looking at the stars, or it can happen just in a quiet moment as you're going about your life. it can catch you by surprise. But you get a little glimpse of the reality of God. The veil gets pulled back just for a moment. You get a glimpse of his majesty, his brightness, his glory. I wonder, has that ever happened to you? Um, Whenever that happens, whenever we get a little sense of what God is like, that God is in heaven, and we are on earth, um, how should we respond? How do you respond as a human being when you get a little bit of a sense of the reality of God? Um, And I think this little passage that we read directs us very gently towards three really appropriate ways to respond. When you have a sense of the majesty of God, how do you respond? Um, Three very simple things. First of all, let your words be few. Some of you are now hoping this will be a short sermon. Um, I'll take my own advice. Um, when, When we see what God is like, we will talk less not a really interesting thing to note. We will not be quick with our mouth. The book of James says, all of us should be slow to speak. Um, And I guess I've been reflecting, I think our our religious culture um, tends to be very talkative. We talk a lot and we fill our meetings with lots of words um, in songs and prayers and sermons and discussions uh, and of course, there is a place for all of that. Um, Ecclesiastes itself says there is a time to speak. So there is, there's a time for all of that. But there's also a time to be silent. And maybe, maybe we're not so good at that. Waiting quietly in the presence of God. Being still and knowing that he is God. Um, I think that kind of silence is really, really good for your soul. To wait quietly before the Lord. Um, Sometimes I think even in our religious culture, we think some, we we measure spiritual maturity by how much people talk. If someone talks a lot about God, they must be really spiritually mature. And sometimes in the Bible, the wisdom is the other way around. Um, Jesus says, when you pray, (laughs) don't babble like pagans who think they'll be heard because of their many words. There's a simplicity that comes to the person who really knows what God is like. We don't need a lot of words. Um, I've been thinking about this, that we talk a lot about God, don't we, in in our church culture. And yes, I am very aware that preachers do it more than anyone, right? We do it more than anyone. And we talk confidently sometimes about what God is like and we explain God and we define God and we pontificate about God and we sound very impressive doing it. But can I tell you a little secret this morning? We don't really know what we're talking about. (laughs) We don't. If God showed us right now just a tiny glimpse of his glory, the first thing we would all do, including me, is we would just stop talking and, and for me, I think there's a, there's a freedom and a joy in realising that. God, God encourages us to talk to each other about him, and it's good that we do that. But there's a freedom and joy when we realise all of our best attempts to talk about him fall way, 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 way short of the beauty, of the glory, of the reality, of the majesty of who God is. So I wonder if we need to allow more time among us for silence, maybe in our church services on a Sunday morning. Um, sometimes even in MCF, we, uh, we say that was a really good open time this morning. And by a good open time, we mean lots of people talked and shared. And I love that too. I love when we hear from lots of different voices. Um, I wonder, could it be a good open time when we just sit in silence and are overawed by a sense of the weight of the glory of God among us? Be still. For the presence of the Lord, the Holy One, is here. I wonder what it would be like to allow a little more room for silence in our home groups when we meet together. We do lots of talking and sharing life and praying and discussing. Just to say, let's just sit in quiet and be aware that God is here. God is in the house. What would that be like? Um, Maybe even in our quiet times, for some of us, Quiet time is uh, not the, the accurate word because we fill our quiet time with lots of chatter. We're talking to God and we're, it's chatter, 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 words, words, words. Actually, what would it be like just to sit and be still and know that he is God? Um, do we need a little more room in our lives for quiet? When we recognize the reality of God, um, the words dry up. We're stunned into silence. Here's a second thing. When we recognize that God is in heaven and we are on earth and we have a sense of his holiness, uh, we go near to listen. This is kind of the flip side of the coin. Whenever we speak less, it creates space for us instead to listen. Um, That is why we come to the house of God. Um, This is basic and essential to a healthy spiritual life. And so whenever James says we should be uh, slow to speak, he also says we should be quick to listen. This is the flip side. Um, I don't know if you know, from from Old Testament times right down to today, um, there's a a prayer which Jewish people have prayed morning and evening. Uh, They call it the Shema. Um, And it comes from... Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And it begins with the words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then it goes on to, to, to quote those famous words about, You will love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. But did you notice how it begins? That prayer for when you rise and when you go to bed. It begins with the word, hear or listen. The people of god in the old testament understood that they were to be above all a listening people a people whose ear was tuned to hear god and again i find myself wondering um, are are we known as a, a listening people um maybe as christians in our culture in northern ireland sometimes we are known for talking we all we always seem to have plenty to say But God's people are to be, above all, a listening people. Um, I think that begins with listening to God, but it also spills out into making us people who listen attentively to those around us. It gives us a humility of posture. We are people who listen. We're quick to listen and slow to speak. Um, In Hebrew, in the Old Testament, uh, there's a close connection between listening and obedience. The two things go together. They're, they're even related as words. Um, and that's, I think that's a really helpful thing to reflect on. The, the goal of listening is not just to gain some head knowledge or to fill your notebook full of um, profound insights, um, to, to learn some interesting things about God. The goal is that it would lead to obedience, that it would lead to a transformed life, And so in Jewish thinking and Hebrew thinking, we haven't really listened until we've obeyed. That's listening is completed in obedience. And so again, I find myself wondering, as we think about our church life, maybe, and all that we do together, um, what difference would it make if each time we came together, we came near um, not so much to talk, but to listen? Um, Sometimes we can come to church um, as critics and consumers. Uh, we can go home in the car afterwards saying, what do you think of church today? And we can say, well, I like that bit. I didn't like that bit. That bit was a bit random. Um, whatever. We can, we, it's, like, it's like critiquing a movie on the way home from the cinema. But none of those are the, are the key question. What is the key question? What did you hear today from the Lord? Even in the most random or most boring church service, God is speaking. And the question we need to be asking each other is, what did you hear today? Did you hear a word from the Lord? And then the next question is, what are you gonna do with it as you carry it into your week? We're not here to be critics and consumers, we're here to be listeners who hear the word of God and then carry it into our lives, Um, sometimes even When we come to the Bible, um, we we come to the Bible and we come to read the Bible and we come to study the Bible and we come to discuss the Bible, but I don't know if you've ever noticed that even in those sentences, we are the subject and the Bible is the the object. I am reading, I am studying, I am discussing, but it's me in control. The Bible itself tends to talk instead about hearing the word of the Lord. That puts us in the place of the object. God is saying something and I'm not in control, I'm not in charge. Um, and I think there's a world of difference sometimes between simply reading the Bible and listening to the word of the Lord. It's worth checking our heart to see, what, what is it I'm doing? Am I just sucking up lots of information which can make me look smarter and look good and look spiritual? Or am I sitting in humility to hear the word of God and to allow it to transform my life. When we realise who God is, we'll let our words be few. We'll go near to listen. And then the third thing is this, um, the shortest one. It comes at the very end of our reading. We will fear God. Um, in, in many ways, this is at the very heart, I think, of all that we've been talking about this morning. Um, It's a a repeated theme in Ecclesiastes, and you'll see it come up um, uh, several times more as we go. It's a major, major theme all through the Old Testament. The characteristic way that people respond to God is with the fear of the Lord. Um, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, according to the book of Proverbs and according to the Psalms and according to Job. So that's a lot of witnesses um, coming together to say, if you want wisdom, the beginning of wisdom is to fear God, it's the fear of the Lord. Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed when, when people in the Bible get a glimpse of God's reality, as we've been talking about this morning, what is their first response? Their, their first response, characteristically, is to fall on their faces, is to tremble, is to be afraid. Um, So let me give a few examples. Isaiah is given a vision of God on his throne in Isaiah chapter 6. And what does Isaiah say? He says, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, living among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. Gideon, in the book of Judges, um, suddenly realizes that he's just had an encounter with the angel of the Lord. And what does he say? He says, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Right? He's, he's scared by the encounter. In the New Testament, Peter gets a glimpse of the power of Jesus in the miraculous catch of fish. Um, how does Peter respond? He doesn't just get excited. He falls on his face and he says, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. The disciples see Jesus calming the storm with a word, just saying, peace, be still. It's a little glimpse of the power of the majesty of the glory of God. And how do they react? It says they are surprised and afraid. And they said, who is this? Right? That's how they respond. Um, maybe... Most famously of all, in all of our Christmas readings, um, the angel of the Lord appears to the shepherds and they are sore afraid, as the King James says. When we get a glimpse of the reality of God, there's something, it's appropriate to tremble and to fall on our knees because we realise how small we are, we realise how foolish we are, we realise that we don't know what we're talking about, we realise how sinful we are, how grubby we are in the presence of God's light, and we're aware that we could be consumed by the fire, and so we tremble. But I hope you've also noticed that as we read through the Bible, in nearly all of those stories, one way or another, that moment of fear and trembling is followed by A moment that could be described as a moment of gospel, of good news. So an angel flies to Isaiah and touches his mouth with a coal and says, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for. The angel says to the shepherds, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Um. The book of Lamentations I really memorably says, because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. Right. We could have been burnt, burnt up by the fire. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. We find that instead, when we come to him in faith, we are forgiven and we are welcomed. And astonishingly, we are invited to come near Right. We're invited to come near the God, the God who the Bible says lives in unapproachable light. We're now invited to approach. We're invited to come near. And that was true even in the Old Testament. There's a lot more grace and mercy in the Old Testament than most people realize. Uh, the repeated refrain in the Old Testament is, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. That's the chorus that keeps breaking out in the Old Testament. But especially when we get to the New Testament, in Jesus, that gospel good news becomes really loud and really clear. Because in Jesus, the Holy One has come near to us and made a way so that now we are invited to come near to God. Um, And actually the New Testament says we're not only invited to come near, but we're invited to come near with freedom and with confidence. Isn't that an extraordinary thing to say? So one minute we're trembling with fear in the light of God's holiness and brightness and glory and majesty and wanting him to go away. And the next minute he is inviting us not only to come near, but come near with boldness, come near with freedom, come near with confidence, come near as dearly loved children who can call God, Abba, Father come near as friends of God. It's not an extraordinary thing? Um, it's only, in a sense, when we realise uh, the full brightness and majesty and glory of who God is that we realise how amazing grace is that we're invited to come into that kind of intimacy with God. Um, I hope it's really clear. I hope you can see that whatever it means for us to fear the Lord, it doesn't mean to be continually scared of God and that, that needs to be said because there are people who live constantly scared of God and um, that is not how God wants his children to live because perfect love drives out fear but it does mean I think to have an appropriate sense of awe to have a sense of the majesty and awesomeness of God and a sense of his holiness and his glory and his brightness and his beauty, and regularly in our lives to stand in awe of God. Um, And maybe as we finish this morning, um, I want to encourage you, um, if you've lost that sense of awe before God, um, I think any of us can lose touch with that, Um, it's really good to ask him to restore it, And to ask Him maybe this morning to give you a glimpse of His glory. Because a glimpse is all we're able to survive, right? Um, Ask Him to give you a glimpse of His glory. And God will will do that in whatever way um, He sees fit. But whenever He does that, it may make you tremble a little, it may shake you up a little bit, it may make you fall on your knees or fall on your face it's quite likely to make you stop talking (laughs) and just sit in amazed silence. Um, But I want to also encourage you, if God gives you that glimpse of his glory, make sure you listen in that moment because the next words that God speaks are always words of gospel hope, saying don't be afraid. Jesus has made a way so you can approach with freedom and confidence so you can draw near to God, and he will draw near to you, and he calls you children, and he calls you friends. Um, let's pray together this morning. Um, and let me remind you, if you'd like someone to pray with you this morning, um, there'll be a couple of people up here who would love to pray with you, um, and even if you can't find the words to say what you need prayer for, um, just come, come and ask, uh, they'd love to pray. Um, let's pray, and then we're going to sing. Father, I want to pray that you would forgive us whenever we, um, whenever we chatter about you um, in a way that is frivolous or um, too casual, and we forget who you are. We forget that you are high and lifted up. We forget that you are majestic and glorious, beyond all imagining. We forget that you are holy. Father, I want to pray um, If we have lost that sense of your majesty. I want to pray that you would restore it. I want to pray that in even today, even in the days ahead, that you would give us just a glimpse of your reality and your glory. Father, I want to pray, would you help us in light of your reality to talk less and to listen more? (coughs) Father, help us to live with an appropriate sense of awe before you. And Father, help us then also just to be amazed by the good news of the gospel, that we are not consumed, but we are invited to come near, and that you call us your children, and you call us your friends. And I pray that that gospel good news would reach the depths of our hearts this morning. I want to pray that we would go out of here um, with a sense of the fear of the Lord, and also with a sense of the joy of the gospel. And I want to I wanna thank you that both those things can live in our hearts at the same time. And so we pray, come, Holy Spirit, carry these truths to our hearts. Um, and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.